I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. It's Dean Jackson and uh, and me, Joe Polish. And me. How you feeling, Joe? You know, uh, we, well, before you started recording this thing, uh, Dean, because that's kind of the role that Dean has taken here. He's he's in charge of recording the I Love Marketing podcast, <laughs> and um, we're both talking about how we both have colds, and uh, you know, it's it is the season to have a cold. Um, well, I'm blaming it all on the Egyptian uprising. Yeah, you know, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going uprising. on in the world. But you, you guys you wouldn't have come down here, and we wouldn't have gotten either of us would have gotten that cold from from our friend, companion. Yes. So uh, the deal is, I I actually went and hung out with Dean, um, you know, a little over a week ago, and it's now day nine, uh, and I've been having this. Uh, we still have it. It's like this weird sort of thing that you know half my half my staff is. Uh, come down with a cold, and but but we are here. We are here to serve and to help us, people. Right? Neither rain nor sleet nor colds from Egypt can stop us from the I Love Marketing podcast. Yeah, yeah. And, and by the way, you know, since although we are kind of time dating this podcast by talking about Egypt, uh, you know, there was an uprising recently. If you're listening to this, you know, right around the, you know the. Uh, February 2010 time period, and uh, I was on a plane to Cairo. Um, it had left the gate. It was at JFK Airport. Uh, they were trying to get snow off the airplane, and they could not. Whatever they spray on the plane to try to melt the snow or remove the snow, they couldn't. It was snowing harder than they could actually remove it. So the gate had to be pulled into the airport, and basically. Um, they canceled the flight and postponed it till later in the day. And uh, at that point, I'd already been either, you know, a five-hour flight from Arizona to, to JFK, a seven-hour layover, which I had an opportunity to go in and hang out with uh, my buddy Ken Glickman and a guy named uh, Jeff Madoff, no relationship to Bernie Madoff. And uh, Jeff Madoff has a production company, Madoff Productions, does the commercials for Victoria's Secret and a bunch of amazing people. And we, you know, had dinner together, and then we head back to the airport, get on a plane at 10.20 p.m., and are headed to Cairo. And the protest had started, but it had not turned into a riot. Everything had not erupted in the country yet. And right. basically, when they pulled the, the plane back in, um, because they couldn't get the ice off of it, um, they postponed it till 2 o'clock. It was really late. I was really tired. Uh, and you couldn't leave the airport. It was shut down. There was no taxis going into the city. I never had to spend the, uh, the night in uh in an airport before. I think there's a movie called The Terminal or something about someone that was... Right, right, right. But, I mean, it's kind of like, it, it was bizarre. Uh, and, but as soon as I got off the plane, I saw a lady with two babies, and I was with my friend Tim Ringgold, and, um, you know, I, I, I didn't feel like I had anything to complain about because you had this woman that had 
you know, two babies, that she, two twins that she was caring for. And so my friend Tim went and got her some blankets and we found some cots and we we're passing cots out to people and people are spread all over the airport. And it, it, it was wild. But in a nutshell, had I had that flight taken off or had I taken the plane that, that took off later, two o'clock the following day, I actually canceled because I had a gut feeling that there was not good stuff going on in Egypt because of what I saw the protest on the news in spite of the fact that I mm-hmm. called the hotel and they said, it's fine here, you can come, it's safe. I still had a gut feeling. I followed my gut. And um, had we taken that flight or had I taken the flight later that they had uh, th- that did take off, uh, we would have landed right dab smack in the middle of uh, you know massive chaos in Egypt. And then over the following week, it just erupted and you know, now that we're doing this podcast, uh, day before yesterday, the, uh, the, the president had stepped down finally, but it was, it was wild. Uh, and in between all that period of time, we had caught in the cold and I've had it now for nine days and it's been very interesting, mm-hmm. but we're here to share marketing ideas. And I, I apologize in advance that everything that I just said was not per se about marketing. It, it, it is what I, what I will say though, in the airline industry, they have a motto, which is we're not happy till you're not happy. And that is proven to be true uh, on every aspect of it because it took five hours to even get my my friend's uh, luggage off the plane. I actually had a carry on and we were not packed for cold weather. Uh, It was uh, so anyway, we ended up flying to Florida and hanging out with Dean and me and Dean had a fantastic brainstorm session for a couple of days on all of the things uh, that we are going to do and can do with I love marketing.com. And, you know, what, what does I love marketing even mean to you at this point? Because it's there's so many, it's it's in its embryonic state right now. Um, it really is. I'm really, you know, what's shaping up is like it's very. Um, I, I told you when we when you were here that I'm very excited about it because it's so. It, it is. It encompasses so much stuff. I mean, everything that that I love about. Marketing. I mean, you think about all the stuff we love: lead generation, we love lead conversion, we love all the um, psychology behind it, direct mail, all the internet marketing things. There's so many things that go into marketing that I, I both of us, when we were writing on the whiteboard in my in the Evil Scheme Hatchery. We had this whole. Uh, you know, realization that it's like it can encompass everything that we love. It's a big enough container to uh, to house all of the ideas and stuff that we have. You know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what we should do? Because while I was there, uh, I did shoot some uh, videos uh, on in Dean's Evil Scheme Hatchery. Um, you know, on on, on a foot I'll video. I'll post up the tour this week. I'll post up the uh, when you when we were there. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we—I was even down at the cafe, and I was—I mm-hmm. shot some videos with the the, the the ladies behind the famous breakfast cookie. That mm-hmm. uh, you know, it was one of the very first pictures I think we ever put on ilovemarketing.com. And uh, yeah, so those those you can watch watch those videos on the ilovemarketing.com website, and um, yeah, it, it was really awesome. So. So having said that, let's you know let's share with everyone, uh, Dean. I uh, I think where we left off on the last uh, on the last podcast was. Well, how could anybody forget where we left off last time? Because you were going to share an idea, the one idea that you gave to Bill Phillips that helped him make 
three million dollars in the first hour of of you working with him as a consultant. So yes, yes, everybody exactly. would love to hear that. <laughs> okay, so let me take you back to 1997. There's this guy by the name of Bill Phillips who had a big. Um, you know, sports supplement uh, company called uh, EAS, Experimental and Applied Science. He had a magazine called Muscle Media 2000, which is what he eventually dropped the 2000. It was just called Muscle Media. And uh, he had, um, you know, uh, been in the hardcore bodybuilding market for many years. And he uh, basically um, had, you know, been he had a magazine with rabid following. He was a great writer, and you know he's he's the author of uh, Body for Life, and his uh, most recent book is Transformation. Uh, Transformation dot com is where you can find info out about Bill Phillips. And so basically, he had hired me for consulting when I was a whopping thirty eight hundred and fifty dollars a day. Um, and uh, you know now, of course, I'm three thousand an hour whenever I do consulting, but basically. Uh, back then, I was thirty-eight fifty is what I charged for a day of consulting, and so he uh, he brings me in for a day of consulting, and we're sitting down. Within the first hour, yeah, you know, one of the first things Bill does is he shows me a sales letter that he had, and the sales letter was basically selling um, Myoplex uh, supplements. It was a um, ready. Uh, to drink, not in the ready-to-drink containers, but it was like in little packets where you put it in a cup a you, or a blender and you blend it up and you drink it. And so self-serving sort of you know containers. And uh, they were selling boxes of this stuff. And uh, he had a sales letter. And the sales letter had been mailed out to his list. He had a pretty big list. And this, this particular campaign had brought in $2 million in revenue. It would have worked really well. And it was uh, a sales letter with a photo of three semi trucks, which were EAS semi trucks, all backed up, uh, you know, to the EAS warehouse because he had a big EAS building where they actually, uh, I think at the time he was the second largest um, shipper for FedEx. Uh, he, he shipped out so many packages from FedEx daily wow. that FedEx actually um, staffed people in his building 24 hours a day. I mean, because it was a 24-7 operation. When Bill actually owned EAS, which he doesn't anymore, he sold the company uh, you know, a couple years later for $300 million, I think in, in many ways, in large part, because of meeting me and implementing some cool ideas I gave him. Um, mm-hmm. But again, let's not give too much credit to me, because again, you know, it's just ideas, Dean, and we know how you know, important ideas are not. I mean, it's not like it was people. execution or anything. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah. And those of you that don't know what we're talking about, you have to go back to the previous issue of a of an I Love Marketing podcast to kind of catch up on execution versus, uh, you know, ideas. But yes, me and Dean believe ideas are critical. And so what, what he needed was an elegant idea. And so I gave him a few elegant ideas, which he did a superb job of, of implementing. Uh, and that's one very good thing I will say about Bill. The guy got stuff done. And so uh, he had this, this, this offer was 40% off Myoplex. Uh, you know, and, and, the, and the sales letter went on to say that you know, I had. I'm. I'm going to kind of shorten the the story, but in the the premise was, um, um, he made an order uh, f- from his manufacturer of of uh, Myoplex supplements. Unbeknownst to him, his uh, manager, general manager, made an order, and both of them double ordered. Now they have a warehouse full of um, Myoplex, and they need to. Um, you know, get it out. They, there, there's so many boxes of this stuff that it's in the semi truck, and they don't have room for it in the warehouse. So they're going to have a 40% off sale. And he had mailed out 
this letter and it was working like gangbusters. It, you know, it, it brought in two million in revenue. And what, one of the first things that he says to me, he said, you know, I am the marketing department here. I've got, you know, a couple hundred employees and no one knows how to write copy like me. I need more copy like this. And he showed me the letter and I'm you right. know, reading through this letter. And I said to him, I said, well, have you ever, um, you know, heard of three step letters or sequential mailings? And he's like, uh, yeah. I go, have you ever done them? And, uh, he said, no. I go, well, here's what you do. Um, what you do is, you know, you don't need to write another letter. You take the same letter and you basically, and I said, can I handwrite on the letter? And he's like, yeah. So I, I scribbled second notice, sent you this letter two weeks ago. Uh, still haven't heard from you. Um, this offer, uh, extended, you know, call now. And I go, and then you put an X through one of the uh, trucks in the picture. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you, you scribble, you know, I, we have more left. And then I go and after, uh, so you mail that. And if you get more sales from that letter, you mail it a third time. And you, and I wrote on the letter, third and final notice. We've sent you this letter twice. Uh, you, you know, this is your final offer to get 40% off Myoplex. Call in order now. And I said, so what you do is you mail this letter to every person that hasn't already placed an order. And uh, you, so you mail the second notice. And then after that, you go to the list and you mail the, the, the third notice. And I go, that's it. And I go, with the handwriting in there and your writing, you're going to write what I wrote here or you tweak it a little bit. And you mail this letter two more times. And, you, and I go, you don't need to write a stitch of copy. All you need to do is muck up, M-U-C-K-M as in Mary, muck up the letter and, mm-hmm. you know, scribble on it. And, you know, people could now call it copy doodles or, you know, there's there's all kinds right. of terminology. Yeah, yeah. You know, what, what terminology do you use for, like, handwriting? Yeah, now well, there's now there's software that you can do it, copy doodles, right? Like yeah, yeah. something that you can, it makes it easy to make it look like handwriting on, on right on your Word document or whatever, uh, or even on your website. It's amazing that, to think, like, now nobody even thinks of sending a physical letter. Like nobody thinks about that as a, uh, as a tool. So the copy doodles and things like that, you can do it on your website where you can handwrite, uh, handwrite things. But that, that was a very popular strategy, um, for, for direct mail. It's handwriting. It uses, brings a lot of interest into the letter. Yeah, well, th- there was always a great line that I always remembered, which is, neatness rejects involvement, ugly works. I, I can't remember who actually said that, but I always loved that line. Neatness. That sounds neatness. like something Dan Kennedy would say. Yeah, well, I think it was like Lou, oh, God, I can't remember Lou's, L-E-W guy with first name Lou. I think it was him. Denny Hatch actually originally told me that quote. But, okay. yeah, I mean, I learned three-step letters from Dan Kennedy because at that mm-hmm. time, Dan Kennedy uh, was writing um, a good portion of my sales copy for me, and so I was doing a lot of stuff with Dan. I even got Bill Phillips to actually hire Dan Kennedy for a day of consulting and, and me at one given time just to strategize. And when Bill came out uh, with the book, um, you know, Body for Life, there was a little strip that had all the before and after pictures on the cover of the book. It was like a removable strip, and that idea for that book on Body for Life came from the brainstorm day, day of consulting uh, me and Dan did with uh, with Bill. But basically, so going back to that letter, so I told Bill to, to mail that same letter two more times with hand, you know, with the handwriting on it. And uh, so he did. And what happened was he brought in another $3 million in sales. 
So right. the point is, had he just mailed that first letter once, it was a very successful campaign. It brought in $2 million. That's huge uh, for someone to bring mm-hmm. in that level of sales. He also had a big list, and he had a big business. He was doing you know, $60 million a year in revenue when I met him. However, um, w- within the first hour of hiring me for consulting, I gave him one idea, which is to simply mail the letter two more times, and it brought in another $3 million in revenue, revenue that never would have been brought in from that campaign had he not done that. And so the point is, is that when it comes to conversion, uh, one of my favorite lines, and I will say lines in quotes a lot because they, you know, they, they, they explain things, is the time yeah. to quit going back to the well is when you, you know, put a bucket down into the well and you come up and there's no more water in the bucket. So as long as you're continuing to, you know, extract um, water, um, keep keep dipping into the well. And the same right. thing goes with any sort of mailing list, be it on, offline, online. You know, you can continually do sequential sort of mailings in order to stay in touch with people because different people, people are busy. People are, you know, you're just going to capture their attention at different, you know, times. And it, in that mm-hmm. period of time could be in, you know, a, a one-week period, I mean, where you can, you know, um, communicate to people multiple times. That's why you see people emailing every day. Some people, you know, the most I've ever seen a person on a list is they email, you know, three times a day for for some categories that have such a rabid following. And right. so, yeah. yeah, something to think about. And, and so, Bill, you know, of course... Uh, <clears throat> I heard some... I forget who it was that they said... Uh, uh, I asked them how often they mailed, and they said only on the days that I want to make money. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. And, and people yeah. are like, "Oh, yeah, you don't want to mail too frequently because you're going to bug your customers." It's like, well, I'll tell you this: if if people don't like you uh, enough to where they're going to communicate to you, you know, I mean, it's uh, then you either need to develop more engagement with them, or you need to come up with you know better stuff, better offers, better. Uh, you know, better connection. Um, can you overdo it? You know, yeah, but don't don't be. You shouldn't be the one that decides that. Your customers should tell you uh, when they're sick of hearing from you, and they'll tell you by either you know opting out of your list or not buying right. from you or complaining. Uh, however, rarely, rarely are we going to come across someone that is over communicating to their list. <laughs> you know, it's it's the same thing with any type of relationships. You know. No, they just loved me too much. I couldn't handle it. You know, it's, it's right, exactly. And although in certain dysfunctional situations, that is, that could be the case. But however, that's usually people leave because of neglect and being ignored. You know, the the the, the time that you will lose your your customers to your competitors is when you allow your com- your competitors to pay more attention to your customers than you do, and so it's it's. Our job as business owners, as marketers, to continually, you know, stay in touch with our clients. And uh, well, here's the thing. You know what? I've got a really great story that will tell that will tie that in. That the, you know, when you look at it, people are afraid to communicate to their uh, to their list or talk to their their people because they don't want to um, offend anybody or they don't they don't want people to think they're communicating too much. And the reality is that the very best thing you can do is communicate to the very best people on your list. Only worry about them. You know, like if you're thinking about it, who are the people 
that you really want to serve. They're the people who who want you to help them. They're the people who want to get the benefit of what it is that you offer. They're the people that you're communicating with. And you don't, I think people, especially when we're talking about email lists, because it's so easy to to communicate to people. It's so easy to do it every day or multiple times a day that we they sometimes worry about um, people unsubscribing or people, you know, but if I communicate, if I, if I email them too much, then they might unsubscribe or they might get mad or whatever, you know, and, and the reality is it doesn't matter. You know, if you're communicating, don't mail stuff that isn't adding value. Don't mail stuff that isn't giving people, um, a benefit. But if you've got some information, you've got some, um, something that's helpful for people. Don't worry about it. Communicate as often as you can bring value to people. And so here's, here's yeah, an can example. I, can I highlight what you're saying really quick, though? Because uh, yeah. th- this this is always, you know, what you what you said about as long as it's valuable and it's creating valuable value for them and it's useful for them, no one's going to get offended by that. And if they do. It doesn't matter. I mean, you, you're not going to help them anyway. If, if you're going to provide value and share something that will, even if you're charging money for it, or even if it's just educating them, or sharing something, uh, some piece of information, uh, some story that's engaging, something that they will perceive as is cool and valuable. I mean, if if they're going to get offended from that, are they ever going to give you money? Are they ever going to really be clients? Of course not. So. I just really want to highlight that. Exactly. is the only people that you want to communicate to. You want to imagine the one person on your list who is your ideal buyer, your ideal client, the one that you can help the most, that you can, uh, that you really want to be in a relationship with only do it as if you're only doing it for them. You know, we had, so with the real estate agents, we have a um, one of our clients is in in Canada, Chuck Charlton in Milton, and so we um, worked together about, just about a year ago now to come up with this idea of doing a daily video blog of all of the new listings that have come on the market in Milton, and. So he had a list of 6,000 people in his, in his email list. And what everybody would be concerned about is, but what if we, you know, if I email and then people unsubscribe? And so the way I talked about it with him was we, uh, I said, what's going to happen is that we're going to polarize your list, that you're going to repel the bottom 20%, the people who don't want to buy a home in Milton and don't want to hear from you, but we're going to, on the flip side of that, we're going to attract, we're going to energize the top 20%, the people who really are looking for a house in Milton and really would like to hear about all the new listings that come on the market every day. So he started back in uh, just about a year ago, February 18th, flipped the switch. Literally within the first 30 days, had 
or the first couple of weeks, about a thousand or twelve hundred people had unsubscribed from the list. So immediately his list went from from uh, you know six thousand people down to down to forty eight hundred people uh, within a few weeks. And but it was okay because on the flip side he was getting eight or nine hundred people a day coming and watching the videos that were that he was doing every day. And since that it's been you know, he's had a hundred thousand views of these videos in the um over the course of the year and it's just been the most tremendous lead conversion tool that he never makes an outgoing phone call, never makes a prospecting call. He does the videos and people will uh call him when they're ready because, of course, he's making offers to people. He's got the cookies right there for them. You think through what would be the next logical step for somebody. What are they going to want to do next if they are somebody who's looking for a house in Milton? So when you look at the offers that we make, our offers to come to a home buyer class to learn more information or to take a tour of Milton Homes. Join us for a daily tour. Talking about running um, daily tours of, of homes in Milton. and Or just if you have questions and you want to just get together, meet me at Starbucks. So every single time that he communicates with people, it's offering one of those three things. And that's exactly what happens is people then email him back whenever they're ready. He's built this rabid following of people who watch his videos every single day. Husbands and wives who tell him they watch it right before they go to bed every night in bed. They're watching the, the you know, it's about a 10 to 15 minute video every day where he goes through and talks about all the new listings. But that is the ultimate lead conversion tool, you know, is giving people what they want, giving them the most valuable experience that you can give them. That's what I'm trying to say. That's all you're trying to say, exactly. No, no, no. Well, you know, the 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 funny thing about it is that every person that has ever um, done business with a, a company and been ignored seems well I shouldn't say every single person like everyone listening has had the experience where they've bought something think about in the last 30 60 90 days where you've hired a service company you've bought anything uh, from someone has there ever been any follow up you know typically no you know so there's there's maybe some thank you with that but uh, rarely is there some continuous follow up but then take the prospecting customer generating sort of situation and how many people actually do a great job of continuing delivering value i mean they they really don't like barney's uh the clothing store uh fantastic with their email follow up i mean if you ever go into barney's and buy something um, they just do a fantastic job. One of the reasons they charge so much money for what it is they do is because they do things like that and they develop a relationship with people that will come in and will spend typically three, four, five, ten times the amount of money on a shirt, on jeans, on, than on regular 
you know, even high-end uh, clothing stores. And there's there's a lesson to be learned from the very most successful people is they develop and nurture relationships and they continually stay in touch. They're not transaction marketers. They're relationship marketers. And that's what you teach people how to do. And that's really, you know, I mean, I had to figure this out in carpet cleaning uh, in an industry. I'll say this a lot just to remind people because they're like, well, you know, I mean, it might work for carpet cleaning, but it doesn't work for my business. It's like carpet cleaning is an industry where people, uh, you're, you're, we're having to sell something to people that they don't really want to buy. Nobody wants to buy carpet cleaning. And if you can figure out how to do relationship marketing and make it work there, you can pretty much apply that to almost any business. The same exact strategies of follow-up that I was teaching my carpet cleaning clients, which were the same exact strategies that I was using that, you know, changed my carpet cleaning company around because I'm simply, you know, in a lot of ways, Dean, me and you are just converts of our own system. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. I mean, we really are. I mean, uh, everything that we're talking about, we're just converts of our own system. I mean, we we developed a, a system because we needed to eat, we needed to make a business work, and it ended up becoming, in, you know, these marketing businesses and us being these quote unquote marketing guys. Um, and that's what I love marketing is about is talking about it. You know, Here, here's here's yeah. this cool sort of stuff. But um, yeah, I mean, one thing, one one point I want to make to really drive this this home is one of the the most successful follow-up systems that we use is, is a newsletter we call a client compounder. And uh, it's, a, it's a monthly newsletter, and it just compounds your clients. And, the you know, you do it with the world's most interesting postcard. We do it with a newsletter. I mean, you know, we have all these tools uh, that, we, uh, that we use and that our clients use and that people can use to, uh, to make money. And every month, uh, I will recommend that someone mail a newsletter to their, you know, clients, uh, or joint venture partners in a carpet cleaning or service business, or for, you know, almost any business for that matter, if there's, you know, a reason to stay in touch with them. And, uh, we'll always get people to be like, I'm not, you know, I'm going to mail every quarter. I, th- I think monthly is too much. And we always have to have this conversation about arithmetic, you know, like currently it costs about <laughs> a dollar to mail. You know, we've talked about this on previous episodes of the, you know, I love marketing podcast, but I want to continue to bring this point up. So it costs say like a dollar to, uh, to, to mail. So let's say 12 bucks a year you are, you know, going to mail someone. So let, let's just, let's just say that it, the, the average gross profit on a job is going to be, um, you know, 120 bucks. Well, you can mail a monthly newsletter every month for the next 12 years before you actually lose money in that sort of scenario. And so right. if anyone does business with a carpet cleaner any less than once every decade, then it makes sense for them to mail, pay and mail, snail mail. We're not talking email here. That's free. Oh, I know. Yeah. Pay snail mail you know, an actual physical letter, you know, newsletter with a stamp uh, to someone every single month for a decade, and it will still be profitable if they do business with you, you know, once a decade, which, of course, if they don't do business with you after... You know, you look at the thing that, um, you know, 
that $120 profit, most people who you're going to be trying to attract as a carpet cleaner are going to be people who want to get their carpets cleaned twice a year, right? Oh, yeah, twice a year they're going yeah. to refer people. They're, exactly. I mean, so my point is, unless with the caveat being, unless you do a crappy job, you know, the only reason to not stay in touch with your clients or your customers is if they hate you and you're, and, you, and, you know, you're trying to escape from them because you're like some sort of unethical business person. I mean, then you don't communicate with them. But assuming, you know, that's not the case, which, you know, I, I always say too, you know, because there's bait and switch and carpet cleaning where people use these low-priced coupons. And, and, and I always say, you know, hate, a bait and switch leads to hate and bitch. So why would you ever do that to somebody? I mean, it's just the stupidest way to run a company. Uh, You're like the Muhammad Ali of, of marketing. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that. You got title. Line, everything. It's great. Yeah, we we should. We, I should actually start getting that title. That's maybe someone can make a comment about that. And I just, I mean, people are going to remember this of episode six of the I Love Marketing podcast. Dean Jackson knights knighted me as the Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, of the Muhammad Ali of marketing. I like that. I, I I mean, I really do like this. I like I like what I'm hearing. Uh, so, you know, I have sat in front of rooms of these business owners and have it showed them the arithmetic. And the average job is way more than that. But, like, I'd showed them the arithmetic saying, you know, this cannot not work. I mean, th- right. this, there's no way you can do this. You can, you can just mail a monthly newsletter. And, I mean, for our cleaners, they don't even have to write it. I mean, we write it for them. I mean, it's done. They don't have to yeah. even think that much. And we create, it's done for them. And I will still have people be like, oh, it's, you know, I don't, I don't want to, I think it's too frequently. It's like, well, um, uh, you're going to make money off this. But then, then I'll say, well, have you ever, if you can remember the first time you ever, like, went out on a date with your wife or your husband or whatever, and, um, I don't know what the whatever part is. That means if they dated a tree or something, I don't know. Like, if you can remember the first date that you ever had, if you actually went out on a date with someone in, let's say, and I'll keep this clean for, you know, so it's family listening here. And so at the end of the date, you had a wonderful time. You um, say to your date as you're, let's say it's a woman, you're dropping her off uh, at her doorstep of her home, and, you're, and you say, you know, I, I had a wonderful time. I think it was fantastic. Give her a kiss on the cheek and say, you know, I'd love to do this again. I'll call you in six months. Now, <laughs> if you said that to someone, they would, first off, you're never going to go on a second date. I mean, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's exactly how most business owners basically approach follow-up. Yeah. You know, they're, they're like, okay, we bought from you. We'll see you again. Look for us online. Find us in the Yellow Pages, you know, whatever. And I used to have people back in the days of when Yellow Pages were a very big thing, which I still have people that make good money on Yellow Pages. I mean, bringing in mm-hmm. five to one and ten to one because they use direct response ads and driving people to get free reports online or call free recorded messages. I mean, people think that Yellow Pages don't work anymore. You know, there's a lot of ways that you can continue to use Yellow Pages with their direct mail campaigns that they do now with their, you know, tie-in to websites. I mean, there's some clever stuff you can still do with uh, with uh, with Yellow Pages, but I would have people all the time say, the reason I advertise in the Yellow Pages is so my, my customers can find me. 
And I always thought that was the funniest thing. You're, you're going to run an ad in the one area where all your competitors look because you're too inept to actually take control of targeting and communicating and being in charge of you communicating to them, not waiting for them to come to you, but you directly going to them. And so the point of this conversation in a lot of ways is you need to take control of the communication with your customers. It's not up to them to remember you. It's not up to them to perceive the value. You need to continually deliver it to them. And if you do, you don't need to do this. You don't need to do anything me and Dean are talking about. If you do, you're going to make a lot more money. You're going to have a lot happier clients. You're going to be able to just distribute and share more of whatever it is that you sell. And that's what makes the world go around. If you choose not to do this stuff, you very well could go bankrupt because you don't have any clients. And so our, our objective here is to share what we absolutely know from experience, our own and through many, many others, works. And that's continual follow-up and sharing value and not being worried about offending anyone because, as Gary Halbert said, you know, don't worry about offending the dogs when you're trying to attract the foxes. I was just going to say that. that, that <clears throat> when you look at that, um, you know, one of the things that I always talk about is, is identifying who is your ideal customer, who is the ideal person that you really want to do business with, what are the what are the characteristics that they have? So for for the real estate agents, one of the things that I talk about are five-star prospects. And I've helped people do this in in any business. So I'll tell you what they are, and then maybe we can talk about them for uh, what it would be for, for carpet cleaners. But okay. for the real estate agents, a five-star prospect is somebody who is willing to engage in a dialogue, somebody who's friendly and cooperative when you talk with them, somebody who knows what they want, that they're moving, you know, they have a, a, a plan and they're willing to, to share it, that they're moving in the next six to 12 months, and number five, that they'd like us to help them. That's a five-star prospect. That's who, uh, that's the ideal prospect that you could hope for as a real estate agent. Now, if you're going to, um, you know, try and turn people into five-star prospects, it's, it's very difficult. It's either people are five-star prospects or they're not, you know. If they're not willing to engage in the dialogue, it's probably not a good chance that you're going to be able to uh, to work with them anyway. If they're not friendly and cooperative when you talk with them, why would you want to work with them? You know, if they don't if they don't know what they want, you know, they don't have a plan that they're willing to share. That's not somebody that you can help. If they're not going to be moving in the next six to 12 months, if it's going to be you know three or five years from now, if you've got a great follow-up program, you may be able to keep in touch with them, but a five-star prospect is somebody who's going to reasonably uh, work with you within the next six to 12 months and then would like you to help them. That's the, that's the, the kicker right there, you know? So the, the bottom line is that those are the only people that you want to be communicating with, but you don't know which of your prospects is going is the five star prospect until they um, until they reveal themselves? You know, so if you if you're generating a lot of leads, like all the people who um, who call for 
the six steps to home ownership guide or the guide to Halton Hills house prices or any of those things, the people who are calling, you, you can't tell just by their name, just by looking at their name and address that they leave on your voicemail or fill out on the form on your website. You can't tell just by looking at that whether they're a five-star prospect or not. So there's two choices that you have. And what most people do is they take the choice of treating people like they're not five-star prospects until they prove that they are, meaning that people don't want to spend money, they don't want to spend time, they don't want to go out of their way for people until they know for sure that this is a real prospect or that they're a real buyer, that they're not just a tire kicker or a you know a looky-loo. And when you think about it, exactly the opposite is the very best course of action that you could have. The very best thing you can do is treat every prospect that comes in the front uh, engine, the front part of your lead generation funnel, is to treat every one of them like they are a five-star prospect until they prove that they aren't. Because the only, if you're treating everybody like they are a five-star prospect, and this goes back to what we were saying about not being afraid to communicate with people as often as you can bring value to them. You know, when, when Chuck was making the switch to doing a daily email to everybody on his list, there's a little bit of fear in that because most people are afraid that they would maybe pull the plug because they'd look at it and say, oh, this isn't working, 1,200 people unsubscribed. But the reality was on the opposite end of that, 20% of the people who were left were polarized, were, were attracted to it, and they were watching those videos every single day because he was treating everybody on that list like they were a five-star prospect, like they really want to buy a home in Milton, and he's going to communicate to them as if they are going to buy a home in Milton the way that those people would want to be communicated with. So you only focus on the five-star prospects, which would be the foxes, like Gary Halbert talks about, you know? Yep, exactly. I mean, that's that's one thing that that always uh, has to be remembered is that you are uh, when you're marketing, uh, you are always attracting the right people and repelling the wrong. And mm. if you're not repelling, then you're probably being way too vanilla. You're trying to please everybody, and you're not going to make uh, some impact. I mean, that's why. You know, I, I mean, who is the highest paid radio personality? Uh, that you can think of. Um, Howard Stern. Yeah, exactly. Does Howard Stern polarize anyone? Yeah, exactly. But go down the list. Who are the others? Rush Limbaugh, Glenn Beck. You know, these guys are, are, that's exactly it, that they're not afraid to have an opinion and they're speaking directly to their audience, the people that they want, the ideal audience for for Rush Limbaugh is somebody who's very different than the, you know, the uh, the audience for Dave Ramsey. Exactly. 
Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, all of this is applicable to whatever business that you're in. You, you asked me what would be, you know, the five-star. Yeah, what would be the five-star prospect? So let's think about that for – we'll go through the exercise for the carpet cleaners, and then we can, you know, think about how it can apply to, um, you know, apply to any business. You know, I've been thinking too, Joe, how we talk about all the examples that I kind of give are real estate examples. The examples you give are carpet cleaning. But, you know, when you look that most any business is going to be somewhere in between those two. I mean, real estate being a high ticket item that only occurs once every five or seven or ten years and yours being a lower ticket item that happens every six months, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's I think it's actually a match made in heaven in terms of having mm-hmm. a couple of real life examples that we can share with people that lots of people can relate to and lots of people can use. And I mean, you know, what's funny is is in, is in my in my life, I've also got my twenty five k group, which is the you know the highest level currently the highest level mastermind group in the world for direct response information marketers and the criteria is make a net income of a million dollars a year have three years experience in direct marketing have a you know ethical reputation uh, you know I don't have I don't even invite people into the group that I knowingly know could cut a check but they're kind of egomaniacs because a lot of times very successful people financially are not very coachable because they've done so well financially that they think they know it all and so I don't want to do business with people that are know-it-alls so I don't have uh, you know I don't try to attract know-it-alls as a matter of fact in the marketing I actually make fun of people like that and so it sort of sifts them out and uh, you know so that's a very high high end $25,000 person sort of ticket price and so I I have an income criteria I have a year experience criteria and I have a you know personality uh, criteria so I don't have a star prospect yeah, yeah. I mean, you you have it broken up very well. Uh, for carpet cleaners, of course, um, you know, high end homes are the ideal. Uh, since I teach my cleaners to do the, you know, be at the higher uh, price points in the marketplace, uh, they're typically not targeting anyone that rents. They're targeting homeowners. Uh, they're targeting people that make a certain level of income. Uh, they're targeting people that have, uh, you know, children that have, uh, you know, if they buy list. Uh, you know, the, we'll have everything from allergy sufferers to doing what I, what I teach the cleaners to do more than anything is do a lot of joint ventures, do joint ventures with carpet retailers, interior designers, dry cleaners of clothing. I mean, I've gotten so many cleaners throughout the world to use dry cleaners uh, that where people go and drop off their clothes to actually endorse them to their client base. And that typically is a, uh, you know, a type of individual that's not going to do a lot of their own cleaning. They will typically live in a nice home because they have the, you know, type of occupation that they would actually go to a dry cleaner to drop off clothes or they just simply don't want to do it. And so um, the, the beauty of uh, you know, the carpet cleaning industry, and I would always say this to even my carpet cleaners that would complain about, well, how do you find, you know, great prospects? I said, you know, my father used to be a locksmith. A locksmith cannot go and drive up a nice neighborhood and know who's going to lock their keys in their car that night or, you know, who's going to get into an argument with their spouse and want to kick the other person out and change the locks in the home. You know, I mean, who's going to get burglarized? I, I go, you think you have trouble selecting a list? You guys can actually pick 
targeted homes based on income and know that as long as they have carpet in that home there and you craft a promotion, you ask them to actually hire you, you make an irresistible offer like a free room of carpet cleaning and a carpet audit, I mean, you literally can go to neighborhoods and target those. That's much different than emergency work, like a locksmith as an example. So right. it's, 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 you know, in a lot of ways, people get so, they make such a big deal about how hard it is to find prospects. I mean, if right. you actually just sat down, like you just described, as a real estate agent and really said, who's my ideal five-star client, and you made a list, you know, no matter what it is, it would be, it would be great. I mean, you know, Gary Halbert had his, uh, remember the, uh, the uh, hamburger stand story? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this is a good exercise to kind of go through. Uh, you know, Gary Halbert would, oh, and by the way, by the way, uh, let me have another ADD moment because one of the beauties of I Love Marketing is it's not scripted at all and I can just go on as many tangents as I want with Dean and he just plays along with it. Um, <laughs> you know, in the in the Halbert Index, the very first newsletter from Gary Halbert that I read, which we posted up on ilovemarketing.com and everyone should read it, um, in 1992 is when he originally wrote that newsletter. That was when I, uh, that's the first newsletter I ever wrote that got me introduced to direct response marketing. And the cool thing is that um, in that particular newsletter, he said it doesn't matter how great of a home you have if you're trying to pitch a $500,000 home and someone only has $100,000, it doesn't matter how great of a deal it is. They can only you know, they can only afford the $100,000 home. And so mm-hmm. his, his, his point was is you want to target your efforts at players with money. And so that's what Everyone really in in your own in your own business in your own life you really want to think about you know who are the people that actually have money uh, or have certain conditions or certain criteria or certain pains that your product or service or your business addresses and that's how you want to craft the offering um, and the communication uh, for those people. So uh, Gary had a story where he talked about a hamburger stand and he would ask people. If you were going to open up a hamburger stand and I was going to open up a hamburger stand, you know, what are all the advantages that you would want that would give you the highest possibility of having success uh, with your hamburger stand? And, uh, and if you're vegan or vegetarian, you know, let's say you're, you're vegan at hamburger stand. Um, so, you know, people would always say, well, you know, we want the best location. You know, real estate is important. We want, you know, the best employees. We want the best food. We would want the best storefront. We'd want, you know, the best advertising. And they would, you know, people would go through a whole list of things that they thought would be the most important things that they needed in order to have success. And Gary said, well, if you give me just one one advantage, if you had all of those other things, you know, perfectly well, uh, you gave me one advantage. I could, you know, smoke pants off of you with one advantage, and the one advantage would be give me a starving crowd. And uh-huh. if there's a starving crowd, it doesn't matter. And, and you know, you look at uh, – I've always thought of this when you go to, like, a professional sporting event, you know, and they're selling hot dogs and nachos and popcorn and cotton candy mm-hmm. and soda and licorice. I mean, if you're a person that eats healthy – and you're hungry and you're going to like a, you know, a football game or a baseball game or something and you're, and you're hungry because you haven't had time to eat dinner. You know, when you first get there, you're not going to, 
you know, eat that crappy food, but, you know, an hour or two goes by and you're really hungry, you might find yourself eating food that you typically don't eat. Why? Because... Well, you know, it's so funny, but I, I told Gary this, that when... Because when, I heard him tell that story, and I told him, you know, that my, my friend Neil and I had a, a hot dog cart. We had a hot dog uh, um, cart, you know, where you make the hot dogs and the sausages and the ones like you see on the um, on the street. We had one of those. You really we had one had, of these? We did, and I'll tell you the story. We, I don't know we if I like were, it. Anymore. We contracted with a, with a nightclub to put our hot dog cart outside of the nightclub. We would only do it on on uh, Friday and Saturday nights, and he would show up about um, 9.30, and we would be there till 1.30, and from the moment we got there until the moment we left, it was lined up outside the, the door because it was the only food. The nightclub didn't serve food. They, people were in all night dancing and drinking, and they would come out, and of course, they're hungry, and this club was not very close to to other stuff. They'd come right out the door, and there we were, and we had the hot dogs and the sausage and Cokes and chips, and that's all we, that's all we would uh, serve. And we would make a lot of money doing that just two nights. A week, we could make twelve or fifteen hundred dollars um, at the time in one uh, one night doing the uh, just selling hot dogs and sausages to to drunken dancers. That, that's fantastic. But, well, no, but here's so, the thing: is that that is the exact thing of being in front of a starving crowd. Now that those two nights in front of a starving crowd would outperform if we took that hot dog cart and walked up and down the streets all day yelling out hot dogs hot dogs we wouldn't make, we wouldn't sell that many hot dogs in an entire week of being right in front of a starving crowd you know well you know what we have to do we're going to have to put this on the I love marketing um um you know, website is I've got a video that I took, you know, probably a couple of years ago with uh, my buddy Jeff Madoff. He's the guy that does all of the, uh, the, um, you know, commercials with Victoria's Secrets. And, um, um, I always say Victoria's Secret versus Victoria's Secrets. I, I always m- mess it up. But the Victoria's bottom line is secret singular. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, there was a street vendor in New York City that uh, had a totally disco hot dog stand. I don't think you've even seen it, Dean, and I'm going to actually go to YouTube and I'm going to send you a link for this video, and we're going to pop that up on uh, the I Love Marketing. So any of you that are listening to this podcast, trust me, this is worth watching. It is a very funny video, uh, but it shows some really good marketing on how someone could even doll up a... um, you know, like a street vendor food cart. Uh, but right. yeah, so, so so what does that have to do with, I mean, I know what it has to do. I'm asking you a devil's advocate question. What does that have to yeah. do with conversion, Dean? I mean, all of the things we're talking about here. I, I'm glad you asked that because so much of conversion is beginning with the end in mind. So much of, of the, the easiest thing to improve your conversion is to generate better leads. And by better leads, I mean know what you're looking for and target the right people. 
So we've talked about it tonight. We've talked about for real estate agents targeting people who are going to buy a home in your town in the next six months. We talked about it with carpet cleaners, people who live in high-end homes who probably have carpets that they want to keep looking nice and would get their carpets cleaned every six months. And when you do find somebody like that, it's a bigger, uh, it's a bigger job. And so it's a higher dollar, uh, ticket item. If you own a hot dog cart, to get in front of people who want hot dogs. I mean, it, it's like knowing how to set things up so that all of the pieces fall into place from the beginning to the end. If you know where the story is going, if you know how the story is going to end, it's easier for you to set it up at the beginning to find the right people to fit into that, into that role. So it's like a, um, you know, it, it, it's probably the easiest thing that you can do to convert more, uh, convert more of your leads is to generate better leads by pre-sorting them at the beginning. Um, one of the things that you can do to, to do that is to stop thinking about your, your prospects as one thing. You know, you start looking at the different types of prospects that you have. Same thing um, like our friend Eben Pagan talks about with creating the avatars for your ideal customers, creating sort of representations of who those people are. And it might be that there's um, there's a number of different people who you could target from a lead generation standpoint that when they raise their hand, you know what they're looking for so that you can craft the next steps to get them into a relationship with you. So with the realtors, it's a different person who's looking for a condo than the person who's looking for a horse farm. So you treat them differently. You don't look for the generalized um, idea of looking for somebody who's looking for real estate, you narrow it down right from the beginning. If you generate a lead by offering a free guide to Georgetown condo prices and somebody calls for that, there's a good chance that just by calling for that, they've identified themselves as somebody who's interested in a condo. So it makes it easy for you to um, to communicate with them in a way that's going to lead to them ultimately finding a condo. If, and imagine in carpet cleaning, it's the same thing, that there's people who are interested in having their carpets clean because it's a cosmetic thing. They like their carpets to be, you know, sparkling and they want it because of the decor element of it. But then you've also got other people who maybe have children or themselves who are allergic to uh, dander or to uh, dust and they want to, they're concerned for the health benefits of having clean carpets. And if you know up front which path people are on, it's easier for you to ultimately convert those leads. Did I oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, cleaning? I mean, 
what other kind of things would people be most interested in about their carpets? I mean, oh, like people that have pets. I mean, I have a lot of uh, yeah. carpet cleaners that do joint ventures with veterinarians and with pet stores and stuff because obviously, right. if you have pets, they're going to be sometimes peeing or throwing up on the carpet, and it's it's a good indicator that uh, you know considering the carpet is the sink that captures everything that you want people that know how to clean sinks and yeah. uh you know uh metaphorically speaking of course and so you know yeah i mean it's it's just uh it, it it doesn't require a tremendous amount of thought you just really need to put yourself into the shoes of your your client and if you don't really know what it is that people are buying or what you know for instance there are some cell phones that sell, oh God, what do they call it? I'm trying to think of the name. Um, I'm going to do a search real quick to see if I can actually uh, find it. There are a, um, uh, a division of Nokia called uh, Virtu, V-E-R-T-U, and um, they, they are cell phones that sell from 5,000 all the way up to 50,000 and above. And, right. you know, it's a total status play but you know the question is what are they really selling are they really selling a phone mhm you know what what are they really selling why is someone buying a 5000 or $50,000 a cell phone now the so the point is is like what ask your clients what why do they buy from you what you know what are right. why do they buy from anyone in your industry you know if you ask someone why do they get their carpets cleaned some people will say cosmetic reasons some people will say well the kids are going back to school other people will talk about asthma allergy stuff and some people you know. only get their carpets cleaned when they something visible happens when they've got a stain or something exactly and see the job yeah. of um of many of my clients is to educate people on why they should get their carpets clean beyond uh, appearance. And, you know, we'll use things like, would you sleep in your sheets for, you know, would you sleep in your bed for six months without washing the sheets? You know, would you wear your right. underwear for every day for a week and not wash them? I mean, people would be disgusted by that, but would you let, you know, every neighbor and kids walk through your carpet, stamp, you know, on with the same shoes that they walk through, you know, everything on, walk all over the carpet, lay all over it, have the dogs, run, you know, and, and, and you think cleaning it like every, you know, two years is like sanitary. I mean, it's, it's not. And I've become like, Howard Hughes clean freak as a result of being in the cleaning industry because I know how disgusting upholstery and carpet right. can be and I know how beneficial it is to actually clean that stuff. So having said that, if anyone needs a really good carpet cleaner, just go to a website that I set up uh, called Ethical Services and type in your zip code and uh, there are people that are you know professional cleaners that have signed a code of ethics that they will not use any unethical uh, advertising. They don't use bait and switch. They 100% guarantee their work. They carry proper insurance. They won't employ technicians that you know uh, are forced to do high pressure selling in order to make a livable wage. I mean you know they're just great companies that. Uh, you know, want to do a good job and want to acquire clients. And so I set it up that way so that people can, you know, find companies that are good companies. That's ethicalservices.com. And if there, uh, if there's not anyone in your area that is an ethical services member, you can at least get information on the site on how to choose the right type of cleaning company so that you can make an informed, intelligent decision. And there we go. What do you think and I think we can leave it at that. Yeah, yeah. So go get your carpets clean this week. Come up with your ideal five-star prospect. 
Um, look at, uh, you know, just one or two ways that you can increase conversion in your business and, uh, and go for it. And like Emerson said, you ask for a new idea when you haven't used the last one that we gave you. Uh, please make sure that if you have a business that you're implementing, uh, many of the things that you're, you know, hopefully picking up from the I Love Marketing, uh, website and the I Love Marketing podcast, uh, me and Dean really truly get immense, uh, satisfaction and joy out of being able to share this stuff. And, uh, you know, knowing that our ideas are going to get utilized and, and benefit other people. And as long as you take everything that we share and use it to create value in the world with ethics and, you know, go capitalism because, you know, capitalism is collaboration between other individuals wanting to create value and exchange value for money. And I believe it's the best system on the planet for uh, making the world uh, a, a better place. So, uh, Dean, thank Amen. you very much. Anything you want to say? That's it. Let's awesome. wrap it up for today, and we'll be back next week with even more cool stuff on ilovemarketing.com. Awesome, and hopefully, I won't have I won't have a cold, and I'll be I'll sound more sane because I'm a little crazy Me too. right now. All right, have a good Thanks, good, good day, good evening, good whatever, everyone. See you next time. ilovemarketing.com. Make a comment. Let us know what you thought of this podcast. Thank you.